chapter, uh, we showed how J the book of Jonah, this is a real, literal story that actually happened. This is not just a, a parable or whatever. This actually took place. It's a it was a real historical event. But one of the things that I mentioned too, though, is the book of Jonah, it doesn't fit anywhere in the storyline or the timeline of Israel. This was uh, something that was, it was for a specific group, the people of Nineveh. It's not really in the timeline of Israel. But ultimately, what this book is, is this is about Jesus. It is a prophetic book about Jesus, and I believe specifically His death. And we showed some examples of that last week, some Scriptures that showed how the prophets in the Old Testament, they spake of Jesus. And I'll show uh, more evidence of that here in a little bit as we go through this. But let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1 of Jonah chapter 2. Look what it says. And the word of the Lord, or, um, and then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Alright, and then look verse 2 says, And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. So let me ask you a question. Where did Jonah pray from? Did Jonah pray out of the fish's belly? Or did he pray out of the belly of hell? Okay. And once again, I mentioned this last week. I remember when I was younger, there was kind of a debate over whether or not Jonah died or not. And there, was, there were some people that would teach that Jonah actually died and then God brought him back to life. That's what, that was one of the things that was taught. But then some know he was alive for the entire three days in the fish's belly. And let me, you know, I have no idea what that would have been like, but can you imagine being inside the belly of a whale for three days? And you know what? I doubt it was like on Pinocchio, you know, where they were sitting on a ship fishing, you know, with, I doubt it was uh, that nice, that peaceful. It was probably pretty intense. It was probably pretty painful. Uh, being in a whale's belly like that. But the Bible says here in verse 1 that he prayed out of the fish's belly. But then in verse 2, it mentions out of the belly of hell cried I. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe that Jonah was dead. I believe Jonah was alive for three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. And I believe while he was in the belly of the whale, he started praying. And you know what? If I was in the belly of a whale, I'd be doing some serious praying. I, I guarantee you I would be doing some praying during that time. But it mentions out of the belly of hell too. So which was it? Well, I believe right here when we get basically the way I kind of break down this chapter, verses 2 and 10 is the story of Jonah. And all the verses in between, verses 2 through 9, are about Jesus. All right? So let's read verses 1 and 10 together. Look what it says. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. In verse 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish and vomited out Jonah upon dry land. Okay? If we're just going to talk about Jonah and the tell the story of Jonah, I think, for the most part, you can just read verses 2 and 10. Jonah prayed, and then the whale vomited him out on dry land. So what about this stuff that's in between? I believe this is prophetic about Jesus. And some people might say, you're wrong. That's heresy. Well, let's look at some other examples in the Bible where prophets spoke in the exact same way and no one denies this. Everyone, everyone is, would agree with what I'm about to say. So first off, in Matthew 12, verse, you don't have to turn that, Matthew 12, 39 and 40, that's where Jesus told them, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. 
There shall no sign be given it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we have Jesus' death for three days and His resurrection. The Bible calls it the sign of the prophet Jonas. Why is that? For three days, Jonas is in a whale's belly. And that's a picture of Jesus being three days in the heart of the earth. Now, look at what it says. So let's turn over to Psalms chapter 22. And you say, that doesn't even make sense. This was all about Jonah. It was not about Jesus. Well, let's see if you want to say the same thing about some things that David wrote. Alright? In Psalms 22, this is the Psalm of David. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Why art Thou far from helping Me in the words of My roaring? Now, does that sound familiar? My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Can anybody remember somebody who said that? Jesus said that when He was on the cross. Look at what it says in verse... Uh, let's jump down to verse 7. It says, And they that see Me... Or let's verse 6. But I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despise of the people. What does the Bible say about Jesus? He would be despised and rejected of men. Verse 7 says, All they that see Me laugh Me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver Him. Let Him deliver Him, seeing He delighted in Him. Remember when Jesus said that exact same thing? They looked at Him, if you're really the Son of God, come down off the cross. Hey, He saved others. Let's see if he can save himself. This is a, they laugh, Bible says they laugh Jesus to scorn. You say, well, this could have happened to David too. Well, yeah, I guess he could have too. But look at this in verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Can anybody think of a time when David, all of David's bones were out of joint? Okay. Now I can think of a time when that happened to Jesus on the cross. Look at what it says in verse 17. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon Me. They part My garments among them and cast lots on My vesture. Did they do that with David? No, but they did do it with Jesus. And what did the Bible say? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet and mentioned this very verse right here. The New Testament clearly, I mean, explicitly tells us that Jesus Christ hanging on the cross and them casting lots on His vesture was the fulfillment of this prophecy. It tells us that this prophecy here in Psalms 22, it was about Jesus. And then verse 22 says, I will declare my Thy name unto My brethren in the midst of the congregation I will praise Thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify Him and fear Him. All ye seed of Israel. Now what does that have to do with the crucifixion right there? Nothing really, but I wanted to bring that up just for bonus because of the fact everyone agrees that chapter 2 is talking about Jesus Christ and in that same passage, it mentions, I will declare My name unto the brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise Thee. Why would I bring that up? Well, I'll tell you why. Because that verse is quoted in Hebrews chapter two, verse thirteen, or verse eleven says, "For both he that sanctifieth 
and they that are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise to thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. I just show you that to show that you know what? The Old Testament was for the church too. The congregation and the church are the same. I threw that in there just because that's a passage that makes the dispensationalist head spin. Alright, so that's just a bonus there. And I bring that up too because a lot of the false teaching that comes from the book of Jonah is because of dispensationalism. They don't want you looking at the truth of Jonah chapter 2 because it destroys one of their pet doctrines of dispensationalism, and that is the doctrine of Abraham's bosom. That it is a place. That paradise was in the heart of the earth. It, it, you know, the good hell that people teach about that was in the Old Testament dispensation. Okay? They... That is, and I've preached whole messages on that. I'm not going to rehash all that stuff. I'll refer to a few things in there. But Jonah is further evidence that that whole teaching is just an absolute fraud and foolish. And if you recognize the fact, the clear fact, that verses 2 through 9 in Jonah chapter 2 are about Jesus, it creates a lot of problems for that false teaching. And so uh, let's go ahead. And continue going through this passage. All right, but I just showed you all that to show that often the Old Testament prophets would write about themselves, but yet they were speaking of Jesus Christ. Okay, it was all, you know the psalmist also wrote, "They pierced my hands and feet." When did that happen to David? It didn't happen to David. It happened to Jesus. And he was writing of Jesus. And what we are about to read that Jonah is saying about himself, these things were, they, these things were about Jesus. Okay? But let's, look at, let's go ahead and look at one more passage though before we go to that. All right? Look at um, Psalms 16. All right? So everyone agrees that Psalms 22 is about Jesus. And you have to agree that Psalm 16 here is about Jesus too. In verse 9 it says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth in my flesh, also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Alright, so let me ask you, when did David go to hell? Okay. David never went to hell. Okay? David never went to hell, but David said, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. So, did David go to hell, or was he speaking of Jesus here? Okay? He is speaking of Jesus. Alright, now, 100% absolute irrefutable proof of that is in Acts chapter 2. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and verse 22, it says. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. <clears throat> Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Alright? Folks, death hurts. It hurts really bad. Death is eternal punishment. It is torment. It is the fires of hell. Okay? 
paradise as the dispensationalists teach, how is that painful? How is that the pains of death? Okay? You know, who thinks of par- who calls paradise the pains of death? If Jesus was loosed from paradise, why would it say he was loosed from paradise and then call it the pains of death? Okay? There's a big difference between paradise and pains of death. There's a huge difference. But look what it says. Um, lost my spot. Verse 25, For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou hast made me full of joy with my countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Y'all see that? It flat out tells us this wasn't talking about David. It was talking about Jesus. David hasn't risen from the dead. It was Jesus. And he said that David, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection. Now, now somebody tried to tell me that they didn't know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. If they didn't know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, how did David write about it? Okay, he didn't. Well, he just wrote, but he didn't know what he's writing about. No, it said he seeing this, he saw it. David knew about the resurrection of Christ. He knew that he was going to come from the fruit of his loins. That one of his descendants was going to be the Messiah. And so David here in Psalms chapter 16, when he said, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, he was not talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus. And there are so many examples, I mean, example after example, of things where the prophets wrote about Jesus. But they would use, you know, they would say, I and me, they would talk about themselves, but they were writing about Jesus. And what we are about to read here in Jonah chapter 2 is another example of that. It is clear because we do. We see two completely different things in verse 1 and 2. Jonah said he was in the belly of the whale. Or in the belly of the fish. Verse 2 though says he was in the belly of hell. Why is that? Because verse 1 is about Jonah. Verse 2 is about Jesus. So let's read. And I said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and He heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and Thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All the billows and the waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. Jonah right here, he's speaking in a prophetic way, but he's also speaking in a poetic way too. He's basically what he's doing right here. He is speaking about his hopeless, defeated state. You know, when you're down in the deep, you're not coming back from that. You know, you're going to drown. When Jesus is in the tomb, when Jesus Christ is dead, you don't come back from the dead. 
You know, that's, that's defeat right there. Okay, Jesus Christ temporarily was defeated when He died on the cross. But thankfully, it couldn't hold Him. So, uh, you know, Jesus Christ, uh, you know, Jesus literally too. One thing we've got to understand, Jesus literally died on the cross. Now, when it comes to this subject of, you know, Jesus spending three days and three nights in the heart of the earth in hell, like the Bible teaches, people get very upset about it. And I've preached whole messages debunking all the false arguments, but one, one of their biggest things that they like to do is they like to use emotion. That's one of their biggest arguments. It's like, how dare you say my Savior went to hell? Well, okay, fine. How dare you say my Savior got nailed to a cross? I'm sorry, but that's what the Bible says. How dare you say my Savior was spit on? How dare you say my Savior had a crown of thorns put on His head and was smote on the head with a reed? How dare you say that my Savior had all... That's what happened, folks. Okay? That's exactly what happened. And when Jesus Christ was taken and He was beaten and He was humiliated and He was tortured and He hung on the cross, His body was being given as an offering for sin. And Jesus Christ, His holy flesh, was nailed there to a cross. He was there making atonement for our sin. And folks, that's what I focus on when I'm preaching the Gospel. I focus on the cross. Because that's what the Bible mainly talks about is the cross. I talk about His suffering on the cross. Okay? I'm not trying to take away from the cross one bit, but do you all understand that just being tortured wasn't enough? Jesus had to die. Okay? Now this is I'm just trying to use common sense right here. Listen, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. He literally was dead. Okay? Not figuratively. He literally died for our sins. Why? Because the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Okay? Now, you and I all know when we ever we give the Gospel to people, we often go to Revelation 21 and we explain the second death too, don't we? We talk about hell. Why? Because that is where the lost people go when they die. They go to hell. So if the wages of sin is death, and if death... All right. If now one of these days I'm going to die, aren't I? Okay. Now if that, if Jesus paid for my sins, and the payment was death, then shouldn't that mean I not have to have that death? Okay. But folks, am I going to have a physical death? Yes, unless I survive to the rapture. So why am I paying for my sins too? I mean, if I'm just going to, if if death is me dying and going to paradise or heaven, then I'm paying for my own sins, aren't I? No, the Bible says Jesus paid for my sin and that payment was death. You see, there's a huge difference between the death of a sinner and the death of a saint. The Bible said in the Old Testament, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Now, how would it have been precious in the Old Testament if they would have went to a holding place where God wasn't at? Okay, it wouldn't have been precious. Okay? But understand, Jesus' payment, it was, not the, it was not the payment that I'm going to make. I am going to physically die one of these days. But I'm never going to go to hell. I will never taste of death. 
But Jesus Christ did taste of death. Because for me, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When Jesus, uh, when he, or when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, what did He say? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What did Jesus say when He referred to that? He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Do you know Jesus did not see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as dead? He said He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. God did not see them as dead. Why? They were with Him. When, he, you know, when Moses was at the burning bush, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were physically dead, yet God said, I am their God. Why? Because they were with Him. Because they weren't dead. But folks, when Jesus died, He died. He was dead. It says in Revelation 1.18, uh, go ahead and turn over there. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 1.18. It says, I am He that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen and have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus said, hey, I'm He that was dead. Now, what's so, you know, what's so great about that? I mean, Lazarus could have said that, couldn't he have? Well, not exactly, because Lazarus died again, didn't he? You know, there's a lot of people that Jesus raised from the dead, but you know what's unique about Jesus Christ? He is the only one to ever get out of hell. He's it. He's the only one. He is the only one that ever will be able to say that, that I am He that liveth and was dead. Every one of us, when we are in heaven, none of us are going to ever be able to say, I was dead. Not like Jesus. None of us are ever going to be able to say, I was in hell. None of us will ever experience that. you all understand that? All right, this is really just common sense stuff. Okay, Jesus Christ died, He experienced death as payment for my sins. Therefore, that death that Romans 6.23 is talking about, I can never experience. I can never pay that. Because Jesus already paid for it. That there is a difference between the death of His saints and the death of Jesus Christ and the death of a sinner. Jesus Christ was dead. He literally went to hell for three days. And you know what? He cried to God out of the belly of hell and God loosed him from the pains of death. And now he is alive and liveth forevermore. And you know what? When we get to heaven, I don't believe there's ever any of us are going to be saying, you know what? I am he that liveth and was dead. We're not going to say that. Because we never were. We never went to hell. We never experienced that death. Jesus Christ did that for us. He tasted death for every man. Why? So we wouldn't have to taste it. And I'm thankful for that. I don't want to experience one second in hell and I never will. Jesus did it for me. So being in paradise is not being, is, that is not being dead. Jesus, you know, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Matthew 22, verses 31 and 32 prove that. God did not see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as dead. And when I physically die, God's not going to see me as dead. Heaven is not full of dead people. Okay? Hell is full of dead people. So, you know, how, and here's just another question too. You know, because this is what they say. They go and they butcher the phrase captivity captive. And, you know, and I'm not even going to go into what that means. It is very clear what that means. 
they say that was him pulling all the people, you know, save people out of good hell. Okay? No, that's not what that was. Okay? That is not what that passage is talking about at all. But, okay, if that was the case, if Jesus had to die and go down to good hell and drag all of them out and take them to heaven, and He had to die on the cross in order to do that. He had to be dead to do that. Because anyone would agree that Jesus Christ was dead. But they would just include good hell as being dead or paradise as being dead too. Okay? So they would all agree with they, they would all agree that he was actually dead. But then we got to ask the question: How did Moses get out of good hell when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration? Nobody can answer that question for me. How did Moses get out of good hell when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration? You know, how, and then how come too out of all the people Jesus raised from the dead? You know, can anybody show me any examples of him raising lost people from the dead? It was usually it was said it's always saved people, or we can definitely assume they were saved people. Why? Because nobody goes to hell and gets out except for Jesus. He's the only one that ever did that. And so Jesus, he got the keys when he rose from the dead. So verse six of Jonah chapter two says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth and her bars were about me forever, yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Okay? Now, let me ask you, does anybody think when Jonah went down the ocean that he went to the bottoms of the mountains? Y'all realize it would take a long time to get that deep in the water, and he would have been dead and drowned and you know, body crushed from the weight of the water before he would have gotten that deep. Y'all understand that, right? So how is he going to pray out of the fish's belly? He's not. He's not going to be able to do that. But notice he's speaking. This is he's speaking poetically here. Okay. All right. When Jonah said, "Out of the belly of hell cried I," it says I believe that was prophetic, but I believe it was also figurative. What he's saying right there too. Often the Bible has things that are you know they're poetic, they're figurative, they're not necessarily meant to be taking literal. And people often do that, especially in the book of Psalms. They take things that are poetic, that are, you know, there's, they're metaphors, and they want to go ultra literal with them. And they make the Bible look stupid when they do that. And you know what? When it comes to this story here in Jonah, he is, this is just, once again, he's speaking of his hopeless state. I mean, does anybody think that there's some bars down there in the ocean? Okay. He's just referring to this trapped state. This is something you can't get out of. Okay. Now, are there bars in hell? There very well might, maybe. You know, even if there's not actual metal bars and a gate like we have there, I'm sure there's some type of thing in hell that keeps everybody in. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it looks like. All I know is whatever it was, Jesus got out of it. And He has the keys with Him. And He got those keys when He rose from the dead. And that's important too because they're in Revelation 1.18 where he said, I have the keys of hell and of death. Everyone would also agree that he got those keys when he went down to hell and rose from the dead. Everyone would agree with that. So once again, how do you get Moses out of good hell without the keys? Okay. Do you all see just how foolish and just how bad these arguments fail on their end when you actually think for two seconds? All this 
to promote and prop up really a Catholic purgatory type doctrine that comes from the Gospel of Nicodemus, which was never included in any Bible. Nobody's ever tried. Even the Catholics didn't put that in their Bible. That book is so goofed up and so messed up. But that's where that story came from. It came from the fake Gospel of Nicodemus. So there is no doubt here in this passage that he's talking about Jesus. When he talks about the earth and her bars about me forever. Okay? Now, was Jonah down there forever? Was Jesus in hell forever? Okay? Now understand, when Jesus was in hell for those three days and three nights, you know, that is, okay, death and hell, it is a forever thing. Right? Everyone who goes to hell has an eternal sentence. Y'all understand that? But God loosed Jesus from that. Okay? He he got it, he pulled him out of there. He did not have to stay there that long. But anybody who goes to hell, it's there for eternity. It's kind of like this. If I got put in prison, okay? And the way the world's going, that might happen before too long, all right? But let's say I go to prison and I get sentenced to life. They sentence me to life in prison. I, I'm in prison forever. They're going to shut the door. If I ask, hey, how long am I in here? You're in there forever. Unless I escape. Right? Unless I escape. Unless I bust out. Okay? Now, that prison has no intention of letting me out. And you know what? Hell had no intention of letting Jesus out. But guess what? He escaped. Why? Because He is God. So, once again, when He's talking here about the earth and our bars being about me forever. You know, he is, he's speaking figuratively here. When Jesus was in hell, the intent of hell and the you know, goal of hell was to keep him there forever. But it failed. And what did he do? He conquered death. He conquered hell when he rose from the dead. So that that's what that's talking about there when it talks about it being forever. So we need to remember our payment for sin is death and hell, not death and paradise. That's what, it, that's what it is, and that's what Jesus paid. Jesus did, not, Jesus did not pay the payment of death that I will eventually pay. No, he, it was the death of a sinner. That's what He did. So verse 7 says, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thine holy... Uh, unto thee into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. I think it's interesting how he, how he throws that in there. Why? Because it was Jesus' death that was payment for our salvation. But, you know, Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through what? Through His death. Through His burial. Through His resurrection. We now can have salvation. And that salvation, it doesn't come from our death. It doesn't come from any payment that we make. It comes from Jesus Christ. It is something that He provided for us. It is not something we earned. It's not something we obtained on our own. It was something that Jesus Christ Provided and folks, emotional arguments that people use—they're—they're they're foolish. They don't make sense, but yet they are so effective. And it is—I'm amazed at how many people, you know, 
whenever I start getting attacked for whatever, you know, whatever my whatever it is I teach, people will often just come up with these stupid emotional straw man arguments. You know, I can't believe you think my savior, my wonderful savior went to hell. And then it's like other people hear that. I can't believe you think that, Pastor Tommy. Um Y'all realize that's not an argument right there, don't you? Y'all realize, well, he made that sound terrible that I think that because he said, my wonderful Savior. You know, y'all realize that that's not an argument. The Jesus said, I am he that was dead. You know, the Bible says his soul would be made an offering for sin. Yes, his body was payment. But the Bible also said his soul would be made an offering for sin. The sacrifices in the Old Testament that were pictures of Jesus Christ, they were all burnt offerings. You know, they were all sacrifices that went through the fire. And the same thing happened with Jesus Christ. And just making an emotional argument doesn't prove anything. That's the same argument people use. Say, how dare you say that a loving, wonderful, holy God would send anyone to hell? Well, Boy, you made that sound really good and really emotional, but the Bible says that He will. You know, and you know what? If He was willing to let His own Son do it, then yes, He'll do it to us too if we will not receive salvation. Emotional arguments, they work for lost people, they work for scriptural illiterates, but they shouldn't work for Bible believers. But that is the main thing that people use. That is the main argument. And it's an effective one too. They just use these... and. I'm amazed that it works, but it works. They don't use a scripture to refute it. They use an emotional argument, and it's just, it's foolish. I hear these things, and I'm just like, you're an idiot. You know, and I'm nice to people in church, too, you know, when they have questions and things like that. But listen, if you're just going to go listen to nut jobs make straw men arguments, you know, and get caught up in their emotion, you know, I'm sorry. I'm I'm probably not going to call you an idiot, but I'm going to think it. All right, it's gonna it's going to cross my mind. You know, don't fall for that stuff. All right, I'm I'm just amazed at how effective that type of thing is. But look what it says in Romans chapter five, and verse ten. It says, "For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son." much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Once again, Jesus' death was a payment for our salvation. Okay, Not just His suffering. That suffering, it had to ultimately lead to death. If He just got tortured on the cross, but didn't die, then it wouldn't have counted. Okay, And there's been many people throughout history who have been tortured, but they didn't necessarily die. Jesus was tortured... It was all part of it. It was all part of the payment. But He had to die. And the it is finished argument doesn't work either. It sounds real good when He said, well, He said it is finished. But you know what? Yes, what He was doing there on the cross was finished. But you know what? After that, He gave up the ghost. Now, why did He have to give up the ghost if it was finished? If it was finished, why couldn't He have just come down off the cross then? If it was just the cross, why couldn't Jesus have suffered on the cross and then just, alright, 
Suffering's done. Payment's made. I'm done. And then come down off the cross. Okay, why? why if he, when He said it is finished, why didn't, he, why didn't He just finish then? You know why? Because He had to die. And He did. He gave up the ghost. He died. And three days later, rose from the dead. The it is finished argument. It's a stupid argument. It's not even an argument. It's just an emotional thing. You know, that so they can say, when you say he said it is finished, you didn't think it was finished. Well, neither do you. Because you, you would agree he had to die. Everyone agrees he had to die. Everyone agrees he had to rise from the dead. Everyone agrees with that. It's a stupid argument. It's not even an argument. So Jonah 2, 2 through 9 is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And verse 10, it's back to the story of Jonah. So once again, if you wanted, if you did, if you just wanted to read the story of Jonah, you could read verses one through ten. That's what happened with him. All right, okay. That that's all that the Bible tells us happened with Jonah. We know he went in the water. We know he got swallowed by a whale. We know he eventually prayed to God out out of the whale's belly, and then the fish vomited him up on dry ground. That's what happened to Jonah. Okay. Now what happened during those three days when he's sitting inside that whale? I don't know. Okay. And you have people out there that say that that's physically impossible to be inside of a whale and survive. I've heard stories that that's happened in you know modern history where there's been people that have been swallowed by whales and have survived it. That's what I've heard. I've heard that when you get swallowed by a whale, I don't know that any, I don't know if this is true, that it literally like the stomach acid and stuff is like a bleach that like bleaches your body. And so a lot of people think that that's why Jonah was so effective when he came out of the whale's belly. You know, he's probably walking through Nineveh all bleach white, looking like a ghost, and probably freak the people out. I don't know. I don't know. These are these are just things uh these are just things that I've heard. The Bible doesn't tell us that exactly. But uh either way, what the Bible says happened, happened. So the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. And I just think it's interesting too how God, you know, he was able to speak to the fish. God speaks to creation. And creation is it is it's obedient to him, and you know imagine that sight too. I like to think about that. Imagine fishing on shore one day, and then seeing a whale come up in shallow water and throw up, and a guy come out of it. Now I don't know this. I, I, I don't, the Bible doesn't tell us. But you know what? That's another reason Jonah might have been as effective as he was. If maybe some fishermen saw that take place. You know they went back and told everybody in Nineveh. You know whenever he's walking through the city, yea, in 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know everyone... That's the guy we saw get vomited out of a whale. He came here. He got thrown up on short by a whale. Wouldn't you listen to that guy? I mean, if, if I saw something like that, I would definitely pay attention to what he had to say. And I do. I, I think that was pretty effective. But Jonah chapter two, it is it is an amazing example of how God would insert prophecy in, this, in the scriptures. There is no other book in the world that can do anything like this. There's no, there's none. I mean, now think about this, because you know people like to you know talk about how there's like no scientific proof of God and you know, all these things. But folks, there are copies of Jonah that go back before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Y'all understand that? And y'all realize that you know these writings, I mean, there's multiple witnesses that wrote Jesus' words where He told them, just like what Jonah wrote about, 
it's going to happen to me. Jesus prophesied that. You know, who is able to call their own death, let alone their resurrection? Jesus did that. Okay? We have, there are so many eyewitness accounts. We have, we have historical proof of the resurrection. The scriptures are historical proof. Every other writing that they find in a cave counts as historical proof of something. Some people count cave paintings as historical proof. When we were at the, uh, I forgot the name of the canyon we were in, Marble Canyon, out in Arizona, we were looking and they had some of those uh, wall carvings and it looked, had like deer on there. And I was hoping to count eight of them. I forgot how many there were because I was like, if there were eight deer, I was going to make a video kind of making fun of Ruckmanites and ancient aliens people and I was going to use that is proof of a Santa Claus. Because, you know, they're kind of there on the wall. I was going to say it like they were flying reindeer. <laughs> I, was, I was going to use that as like proof of Santa Claus. It's just like, you know, just being, just being funny. But the thing is, listen, there are people that will see something that looks like a flying saucer or a spaceship and they'll use that as proof of aliens. You know, they'll find all these carvings of something and it does. they, they count that as proof. Yet we have all these scriptures... We have ancient copies of it and people want to say that doesn't count as proof. That doesn't even make sense, folks. Listen, for people to not believe the Bible, it is to just reject the facts. It is rejection of truth. People who do not get saved, it is their own fault because they just reject truth. And they can run their mouths all they want about no historical proof, no historical proof. But folks... This is historical proof. There's, there's, there's no getting around it. And this story happened. And this story was prophetic about... Not, not only did this happen, it was prophetic about something else that was going to happen hundreds of years later. And that was Jesus Christ was going to die. He was going to go to hell. And three days later, He was going to rise again from the dead. That is what this is about. So when we get into chapter 3 and 4, it's just back to... It's back to the story of Jonah. It's back to telling us exactly what happened. But ultimately, I believe the reason God included the book of Jonah in the Scriptures was to tell us about Jesus. Because, once again, you know, what does it matter to us about Nineveh? You know, how does that, it doesn't really fit in the storyline. It's a good lesson. You know, it is a good lesson, but... You know, we've got plenty of other lessons like that. I think we're going to see next week a good example of repentance and what repentance is. You know, but there's a lot, there's plenty of scripture on that too. This story is in this, the book of Jonah is in the Bible to tell us about Jesus. That's the main thing it wants to tell us about. And mainly about his death. Not the crucifixion, his death. And so I hope that was a help to you. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for just the amazing, uh, just how amazing it is, Lord. It's just incredible uh, the way You declare the end from the beginning. Uh, Lord, and I just pray You'll help us to uh, just let this just amaze us and cause us to want to study Your Word even more. And Lord, I just uh, pray You'll help us to uh, try to share the story of Your death, burial, and resurrection, Lord. And uh, pray Your Holy Spirit will... Uh, do a great work, Lord. Help us to realize that rejection of Your Word, Lord, it is, it's, it's just that. It's rejection. It's not that people don't understand. It's just they don't like it. They've chosen darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But Lord, I just pray You'll help us 
to uh, do a good job of shining that light, being a good example. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go.